All right, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. And Lieutenant Colonel Grossman has been working at this for a long time, and there's no way to really introduce him. So I'm just going to read uh, a line or two from his bio here. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman is an internationally recognized scholar, author, soldier, and speaker who is one of the world's foremost experts in the field of human aggression and the roots of violence and violent crime. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman is a former West Point psychology professor, professor of military science, and an Army Ranger who has combined his experience to become the founder of a new field of scientific endeavor, which, he's be, which has been termed killology. Uh, in this new field, Colonel Grossman has made revolutionary new contributions to our understanding of killing and war, the psychological cost of war, the root cause of the current virus of violent crime that is raging around the world and the process of healing the victims of violence in war and peace. So that is just a little chip off the iceberg. <laughs> and uh, yeah. what else would you throw in there, Colonel Grossman? Uh, Thank you so much. Is, you talk about needs to go get a life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. It's just Dave and, and Craig. I'm honored to be on the show. I appreciate the work you've been doing. I appreciate your listeners and uh, uh, I'm proud to be a service. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. You know, um, I always admire people who come on to the to like the smaller podcasts because they're always the best. Because when you get somebody big, somebody big and, and uh, internationally renowned, renowned like uh, Colonel Grossman, well, well, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, I should say, uh, it's a big deal because I like people who, you know, they want to talk about what they're talking about and let people know they got a message. And, um, you know, if there's a place to say it, they're up to doing it. And I, yeah. I really admire that. So thanks for coming on. You know? It was great, Greg, because uh, I'm a huge fan of the, the podcast revolution. You know, mm. it, it used to be that if you weren't on one of the three networks or the local newspaper, you know, you just never got out there. And and now we've broken that log jam. And it's not just a five-minute soundbite. You know, back in the day, I was in 60 Minutes in 2020. And it didn't amount to anything. You know, five minutes, you couldn't control what was there. Uh, we've broken through that logjam and not just you but the people listening to you represent something pretty positive in our society today people seeking a deeper level of knowledge so thanks for what you're doing here and, and hanging in there you're not doing it to get rich that's for sure uh, you make, <laughs> yeah. you make it a contribution and, and a legacy that you know is a century from now people mm -hmm. might still be tapping into this it, it's uh, it's really pretty cool I believe so. I believe so. What what we record today, who knows what will happen to it in the future. It's so true. And so, well, of course, there is your major book that everybody knows or should know, which, of course, is On Killing. And that's definitely one of the hallmarks that, uh, well, a legacy that Colonel, that Lieutenant Colonel Grossman is going to leave behind and has, you know, yeah. created and speaks about today. But also, you know, I was going to bring it downstairs. Um, I couldn't find it. It's upstairs somewhere in the bookshelf. Um, I have your a DVD set of uh, Bulletproof Mind, and that is a good number of years old. And so one of the things I was going to ask is the Bulletproof Mind, um, it's an amazing presentation. There's even on uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman's site, there's a little course you can take, uh, which is the lectures and then some interactive material. So if you want to just get deep, it's there. But it's been a couple years since I last saw it. What would you add to your, I should say, as you're doing the Bulletproof Mind um, presentations, what's new? What have you added to it recently? 
Well, you know, uh, uh, the, the bulletproof mind is, is resiliency, people who do not get PTSD. And, and as time goes by, I've been able to make it better crafted and incorporate new information. But the first step in resiliency, I say, is motivation. To know that your sacrifice is for a noble and worthy purpose. To know how badly people need what you have to give. And uh, and, and that kind of has to do with the violence around the world for for the sheepdogs and the violence at home. And uh, violence is bad, Craig. It's crazy bad. Uh, we've never seen anything like what's happening. The, the, the murder rate is being held down by medical technology. Uh, the rate in which people are, are, are killing each other off underrepresents the problem. And the docs are saving ever more lives. Tourniquets alone have cut the murder rate in half in just the last decade. Cops lapse in a tourniquet, saves the crime victim's life, and we prevented a murder. Uh, you know, imagine if somebody said, oh, your grandpa made 25 cents an hour. You make $25 an hour. You're 100 times better off than your grandpa. Well, we all know the lies, something called inflation. We say, all right, uh, homicides exploded in 2020, three times worse than anything we've ever seen. But it's still not quite as bad as the 1960s. Uh, you know, and your BS meter is going off. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. Record number of cops murdered in the line of duty in spite of body armor, in spite of of medical technology, when a cop, given everything we have, the tactics, the technology, when we get cops murdered out there today, it, it represents a level of violence when we see uh, homicides at levels that we've never seen before. And, and so the first step is recognizing just how desperately bad it has become. And, and then the second step is motivation turned into action. Identify the things you can do and do them. You know, when we talk about people who don't get PTSD, uh, maybe one of the famous ones, survivor of a Nazi death camp, walk out of a Nazi death camp, and upstairs he's just fine, a man named Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. Viktor Frankl said he realized the only thing in the universe these Nazi bastards couldn't control is how I choose to respond. The only thing in the world you can control is how you choose. You, you can't control what other people do, what the nation does the past. Everything in the past is done. Let go of it. You just uncertain. Mm -hmm. The only thing universe you can control is yourself right now. And if you give way to bitterness or cynicism or complacency or denial, that's the one thing you can control. So it, it, life is, is kind of like, to paraphrase Victor Frankl, it, life is a game. And if you lose your temper, you lose the game. Mm -hmm. You don't lose your temper, you give it away. It's the only thing universe you do control. Now, that's, that's easy to say. It ain't so easy to do. But you establish that goal. Of, of the only thing I can control is myself. And, and from that point on, things begin to flow. We can become wiser people, better people. That's why most of us make better grandparents who were their parents. Because you know? how many of y'all got kids? You know, how, how many of y'all ever looked at your parents or your kids and said, are you the same ones that raised me? No, they're not. They're, they're mm -hmm. at least 20 years older, more mature. It's called maturity. We want to get it. We can be wiser and better people as years go by. We've got to focus. Not uncontrolling what other people do, because you can't do that. The only thing you can control is what you do to make the world a better place. And, and then, uh, you know, the, the bulletproof mind rolls on from there to the physiology and psychology, forewarned and forearmed, and a lot of other factors. But the key information in recent years has been uh, just how bad it has become and uh, just how bad the terrorist threat is since the fall of Afghanistan. Uh, the threat of terrorist attack over here is, is horrendous. Huh? Now, for 20 years, we hunted them down like dogs across Afghanistan. We whacked them in their caves. We hunted them down their homes. We killed them with hellfire missiles. 
hellfire missiles, the fires of hell. We make a religious statement every time we whack them. We didn't even get it. They get it. And they're mad. Hmm. And, and for 20 years, they said, just wait until the stupid Americans leave, like the Russians, and then it will be our turn. And so we left after 20 years hunting down like dogs, no hard feeling, guys. We, we left. We left them with $7 billion of military equipment, a burning desire for vengeance, and a model is already in their head of what they did to Russia. And what they did to Russia, first and foremost, was the Bestland School Massacre, 333 dead, most of them children, most of them elementary-aged children in a school in Russia that most Americans don't even know about. But when they want to hurt you, they don't piss in your water, they don't sprinkle doo-doo over your skies, they come kill your kids. And, and, and that's really this domestic threat. And we see now the, the Hamas, you know, in my book on killing, I'm so honored you pull up on killing. Uh, in many ways, what's even more important is on combat. Yes. And uh, in, in my book uh, uh, on killing, we talk about how atrocity empowers and entraps. And we've got all of these people who are, who are praising these horrendous acts by 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 uh, uh, Hamas, and and how they're entrapped by that, they can't admit that they're wrong. And it's you know the the, the Germans supported the Nazis uh, tooth and nail, right up until the end, and then they had to admit their crimes, they had to admit their evil. And today, you know, we're still in Germany. That's what war's all about. You devastate them, you occupy them. We're still in Japan. That's what war's all about. You devastate them, you occupy them. But today, Japan can't even have an army. They have a self-defense force. That's their own, their own chosen and selected uh, method. Oh, today in Germany, uh, you know, in America, we can be a Holocaust denier, and you're a nut, you're a kook, but you know, you're harmless. In Germany, Holocaust denier, a Nazi sympathizer, you can go to jail, and 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 that's that's what losing means, and uh, and that's what we're seeing in Hamas is. Uh, People who are entrapped and around the world, people are entrapped in this ideology and was really outlined in, uh, in On Killing. Just, just today, I had an interview with a uh, really, really great guy, a, 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 a Canadian journalist, one of the major newspapers uh, talking about On Killing and the atrocity and, and how I, I, I predicted how atrocity is being used to entrap. But the same thing is happening in our inner cities. We tell mm. cops about the murders a lot. Well, it's gangbangers killing gangbangers, but you don't understand. Once a gangbanger has been ordered to kill, and they do kill, now they're trapped. They're no longer able to go back to normal society. They're, they're bound to their leader. They're bound to their gang, and, and they cannot escape. And, uh, and so that comes back on killing. And one of the things we're talking about now in my classes is, is what's happening with Hamas and how atrocity empowers and entraps. And uh, you, you mentioned on killing. If you go to Google Scholar, scholar.google.com, Look up any any book ever published, any paper ever written, and see how many times it's been cited yes. in other scholarly works. And uh, and on on killing has been cited over three thousand five hundred times in scholarly works. One of the one of the you know praise God one of the great scholarly works of our time. We continue to build on it. My book uh, on combat is really more important. My book uh, on hunting just came out this year, and of course on spiritual combat. So we continue to push that envelope in different directions. When Bulletproof Mind, something that's new. Um, and it's not about faith. It's not about religion. But one existential question 
that everybody asks and everybody needs an answer for is how can a loving God allow all this evil to happen? And the answer is, you know, my book on spiritual combat, Christian Book Award finalist, we're not God's puppets. A loving God, there is one, wouldn't use you as a puppet. Would a, would a loving parent stay over their children for their entire lifetime, making every decision for them? No, 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 that's not what love means. You ever heard the saying, if you really love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. Yes. But God loves us. He lets us make our own decision. It means a lot of people make bad decisions. You say, God, do something. He says, I did. I sent you. And yes. so those are just new ingredients in the equation. Maybe the biggest of all is this global epidemic of sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation, a key factor in suicide, which exploded worldwide. Sleep deprivation, a key factor in traffic deaths, which exploded worldwide. Sleep deprivation is a key factor in chronic pain and opiate-seeking behavior. Sleep deprivation, you don't sleep, you're hurt. Uh, doc, give me a pill. I don't need a, you don't need a pill, you need more sleep. You gotta knock off the caffeine to stop and you from getting deep cycle sleep. And so that's another whole angle and things we can do starting tonight to get control of your sleep, to sleep in a totally dark room, cut off caffeine shortly after lunch and, and start taking charge of your sleep. It's the single best thing you do for performance and wellness and, and all the other things out there that we, we want so desperately to be able to do. So a, a lot of stuff coming at you fast and furious about, you know, the updates. My, my, my next book uh, uh, coming up probably about two years is called, I've got 14 published books, be called On Sleep, The Tragic Impact of a Global Epidemic of Sleep Deprivation. It's one area that's horrendous. Child suicides, teen, teenager suicides have exploded, tripled, quadrupled, uh, tragic, tragic times. Number one killer of our kids is traffic deaths and number two killer of our kids is suicide and sleep mm. deprivation is a key factor in both of those ingredients so so that's a kind of a long-winded answer to uh to where we're going and the newest research and the newest stuff that's always being woven in and the next book coming down the road yeah and um, also uh i believe that lines from um on killing were included in the uh movie American Sniper, and that wasn't originally part of the script. Yeah, yeah. You know, American Sniper had the sheep, the wolf, and the sheepdog. Yes. And that was that narrative. And uh, I, I actually have the U.S. government trademark for the term sheepdog as a reference to protector. You want to use sheepdog, just I'll send you a letter suitable for framing to say, you know, giving you permission and used in this context. But we really coined the idea of the sheepdogs really taken off. We love dogs, you know, and Americans get more angry about a canine, you know, a police dog being killed than about a police officer being killed. We, we love dogs. And the idea, you know, I, I, from a scriptural, spiritual standpoint, when we get to heaven, God will embrace us as their beloved children. But right now, it's all I can do to think of myself as being dogs faithful, dog, God's faithful dog. I, I just want to be God's dog, you know, and, and, and my dog does stupid stuff and I still love her. Uh, and God sees every stupid thing we do, and he still loves us, you know. And, uh, Will Rogers yeah. said that uh, if Will Rogers said, if you get to thinking you're a man of some importance, try mm -hmm. telling another man's dog what to do. <laughs> and, and, and if you ever did that, the dog would look at you, and if he could talk, here's what he'd say. I, I'm just a dog. I don't know much. I know this. I'm not your dog. And when mm -hmm. the evil one comes to us, you say, I'm not your dog. You know, I belong to the Lord, and uh, and there's power in that too. So that's uh, 
that's the sheepdog dynamic and it, it's really taken off and we keep rolling with it. Uh, you mentioned killology. Yes. We well, use killology research group. You know, criminology is not about teaching people to be criminals. Killology is not about teaching people to kill. It's about understanding the factors enable and restrain killing. You know, the hard thing to explain is not that one in a million terrible crime you heard about today. The hard thing to explain is that 99.999% of our citizens go a lifetime and never even try to take a life. Explain that. Divorce, infidelity, layoff, traffic accident, and a lifetime of provocation. Less than one in a thousand people will even seriously attempt to take a life. Explain that. That's killology, the sociological, physiological, psychological factors that restrain killing. We're not to turn it on, we're not to turn it off. So I use the term killology research group, but uh, defund the police and Antifa and mm. cult, uh, cancel culture came at me full bore. So you, you don't meet these people head to head, you sidestep. It's you know intellectual judo, you know, intellectual jujitsu. So we just rebranded as grossmanontruth.com and, and rocked on. But it, it was always kind of controversial, the whole idea of killology, because it's a subject in our society that people don't want to think about, they don't want to truly really look at. And so I was able to coin a whole field of scholarly study. And and uh, and so that's that's kind of where that went and, and what we've been up to in recent years. Mm. And it, it seems like a lot of people are guilty to sleep. It's We, we are uh, in a constantly, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, this yeah. constantly turned on society. You wake up in the morning and you have the day ahead and you want to get more amped than your challenges. And so it's very easy to, uh, I mean, everything from, we have a lot of enemies out there. Maybe coffee is not the worst one, but definitely a lot of stimulants like, you know, energy drinks and everything yeah. else and caffeinated water and yeah. caffeinated energy bars. Well, here's, and a, here's something for you. Know, even in my class about the, the energy drinks. Yeah. Um, you know, um, about seven years ago, two DOD, Department of Defense, two DOD-wide studies on the energy drinks. Now, for the first 15 years of war, we passed out these energy drinks like water. They gave them to us by the pallets, gave them the troops. I'm going to ask guys. Then two major DOD studies, and for all practical purposes today, there is a complete ban on issuing energy drinks to U.S. Armed Forces. They're like cigarettes. You want to buy your own? You're an adult. not going to stop. You'll never buy it for you. In an academic environment, the one taking the most energy drinks were the ones most likely to flunk out. In a mm. tactical environment, the one taking the most energy drinks were the ones most likely to not off on the job. They're totally counterproductive. The only thing in that energy drink is a mega dose of caffeine and sugar and some stuff to make you metabolize it quickly. It will give you a one-hour burst of physical ability, then you crash. Before a PT test, before an athletic event, one energy drink's not a bad idea, but then you crash. Second one feels good yes. for 10 minutes. You crash. Third one feels good for five minutes. After the first one, all you're doing is building up your tolerance to caffeine. But the critical point is just cut off all caffeine about eight hours before you go to bed. That means shortly after lunch. And, and, and that's huge. If you can just do that, uh, shortly after lunch, cut off all caffeine. And, and the source of caffeine is important. Coffee and tea appear to be pretty good for us. I think coffee drinkers are living several years longer than non-coffee drinkers, but just because the other stuff is so bad. Yes. But when you think about what's bad for us, it's binge watching TV shows and playing those addictive video games and, uh, and, and, and social media all night long. 
You and your time is a commodity and they want to steal your time. The, the head of Netflix has said that number one competitor is sleep. The corporate policy at Netflix is to steal your sleep. And, and, and taking people's sleep, it kills them. Sleep deprivation is a key factor in suicide, a key factor in, 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 uh, in, in, in traffic deaths, a key factor in the opiate epidemic, remember chronic pain. So, so sleep deprivation is a key factor in Alzheimer's and dementia. Without a doubt, people say, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, you have a decade of Alzheimer's first, you idiot. Mm. And, and, and all of these, these risks, but the video game is never going to say, you've been playing this game for 24 hours. Go get some sleep now. Social media never say, you've been online for 36 hours trying to get some sleep. Netflix will never say, you've been binge watching shows for 48 hours. You need some sleep. They will never do that. They want to steal your time because that's money. You are a commodity and your time is a commodity. And by stealing your time, that's how they make their money. And so then I'm going to tell you that sleep deprivation is killing you and it's killing your children. It's destroying our way of life that we've got irrational people out there on the third day without sleep, you're hallucinating, you're, you're psychotic. Anybody came out of ranger school or seer school, we'll talk about on the third day, they're having hallucinations. You're flat psychotic. And we got people all around us on the third day without sleep. They race home, they play the video game all night long, they stagger off to work, they play the new game all night long, and now they're on the third day without sleep. And I'll tell you from personal experience on that third day without sleep, you will hear things and see things that are not there. You're flat psychotic. Those people all around us. So this epidemic of sleep deprivation, there's these, the, you know, this predatory, you know, uh, uh, industries that want you to binge watch their shows forever and ever until you die. They, they want you to play the video game until you die. They, they don't care that they're killing you. They just want your money. They want your time now. And uh, my, my dad started smoking in 1941 when he was five years old. Mm. He said he couldn't even look over the counter. The general store plunked a nickel on top of the counter, five years old, bought a pack of Bull Durham tobacco and rolling paper, started smoking. Hey, candy rot your teeth, right? Candy rot your teeth. It's his money. Cigarettes are good for you. And this is this is crazy. Here's a, here's a camel ad. There's more doctors smoke camels than the other cigarettes. <laughs> Well, Camel, how about this one? You know, as, as your dentist, I would recommend Viceroy's. Oh, dentist, Viceroy's, toxic gals. <laughs> they're poison. They're all poison. Don't do it. 55 years later, those cigarettes finally killed my dad. Hmm. The whole battle with the tobacco industry was just stop selling this stuff to children and admit that it could do harm. And here we are with, with all of these industries. Uh, you know, my book, really an important book for your purposes, is uh, Assassination Generation. I was invited to the White House, by the way, something new, uh, at, at President Trump's Roundtable on Violent Video Games. We had one book to put in the president's hand. This is the book. Invited back to the White House to brief Vice President Pence. You know, a couple of gracious, impressive people. I had one book I could put in the vice president's hand. This is the book. And, and we talk about how they fought all the way to the Supreme Court to sell any game to any kid at any age. And uh, uh, the video, the, the state of California, 2005, based on the brain stand data, overwhelmingly, the state of California voted to regulate children's access to violent video games. Hollywood said, we're, we're good with this. Uh, 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 the, uh, the Silicon Valley said, we're good with this. Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. Arnold signed the bill regulating children's access to violent video games. How many people know that? And, and the industry fought all the way to the Supreme Court to sell any kid, any game to any kid at any age. 
And 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 and, and they, they lied, they deceived, they conned seven old men who'd never played Pong in their life to overturn <laughs> the California law. Nobody knows that. But this is the deal. They they fought to sell this stuff to children, just like the tobacco industry. They're still in their sleep and they're destroying them. And so uh, I just had a talk uh, this morning with a, a politician in India. Uh, his uh, his father, Gandhi, is, is part of the Gandhi family. Uh, his uh, his his grandmother was Indira Gandhi, who was assassinated. His father was a Gandhi politician assassinated. Now he's a politician, and um, we're talking about what what's the legislative step that we can take, and it's a, a public health program. Educate children. Here's how much sleep you need. Educate children. You got to sleep in darkness. You got to cut off caffeine after lunch. It's an, an education campaign that sleep deprivation is a key factor in suicide and traffic deaths. And when people know that, then it's just all about public education and things that we can do. I gave them the research that backs it up and the, and the web links and so on and so forth. Let's see what happens. But there are things that we can do, and, and but things are crazy bad right now. And we need our sheepdogs and we need to keep our powder dry and circle the wagons. Definitely. And so one thing I was going to ask is, uh, most people I know will have been talking in the last couple of years about it. it seems like people have gotten more violent, especially since let's say January, 2020. And there's things that we're seeing happen right now that would have really disturbed us five years ago, but it yeah. seems like there's been an increase in violence recently. I'm going to say starting January, 2020. And especially one of the things that I'm seeing is, uh, just such unrestrained violence in youth. I mean, uh, usually before violence, there's posturing. You know, there's almost like a reluctance to to to, vi to violence. You know, but it seems like right now, something that I'm noticing, and I, other people that I notice that I know are noticing, is that um, young people are just going straight to violence and ex ridiculous violence. I mean, really. Uh, killing other kids or adults or, and so does that sound right? I mean, are we seeing an increase in, in, off, in you are so absolutely right. In 2015, 2016, we saw an explosion of violence and we've seen 12% increase in violence like that in the sixties, but comparing between now and the sixties completely breaks down. 2015, 2016, and the FBI guys putting together, they call it the Ferguson effect, the Ferguson riots, and, you know, hands up, don't shoot, and the cops are evil, and the criminals are the good guys. And then we had six cops, or, or five cops murdered in Dallas, and President Obama went to the funeral of five dead cops in Dallas and stopped this stupid stuff. Obama said the cops are not the enemy, stop this. But then, in 2020, the increase in violence was three times greater than the Ferguson effect. And it started in May of 2020, not January, but May of 2020. What happened in May of 2020? The George Floyd incident. They call it the Minneapolis effect. This whole George Floyd incident, the idea that, 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 the, that people are being murdered on the streets by cops, the idea that the law is evil. It, 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 you know, we see the shoplifting and the shoplifting and the murders are just different steps on a continuum of, of, of violence and lawlessness. And, and the shoplifting is, is just, the stores are, are, are running out of business and inner cities are shutting down. They, they got everything under lock and key, it's bizarre. 
And, and the shoplifting all comes from this idea that the criminals are the good guys. Uh, you know, the, the, the senator from, uh, from Pennsylvania, they said, well, wh why do you want to let all these people free in prison? He said, you don't understand. They're all Morgan Freeman as Shawshank Redemption. He believes that. He believes everybody in prison is Morgan Freeman and they all need to be released and they're all Shawshank Redemption. And, and then we'll see right up until the early 1960s, Hollywood operated by a code. And the code said, we know the stories we tell have an impact on our society. And we know we have a responsibility to tell stories have positive impact. A lot of the code could be said in three words. Crime doesn't pay. Criminals will not be depicted in a positive manner. Law enforcement must not be depicted in a negative manner. They knew they couldn't survive as a civilization if we tell our children that the law is evil and criminals are good, that light is dark and dark is light, that, you know, that you, know, you, you can't survive. And, and, and then we, we had, uh, you know, the, one of the most recent cases is Denzel Washington in Training Day. One of the most beloved black actors plays a corrupt, brutal cop. And, and, and here's the thing, you're two, three, four, five, six years old. You watch this stuff, it's real. I, I asked my audience, say, you know, you ever had a time when dreams in real life got a little mixed up. My son's pushing 50. He asked my wife a while back, did I tell you that? And did I just dream it? He said, oh, you must have dreamed it. I don't remember. We've been there as adults. But kids, three, four, five, six, seven, even eight years old, their dreams and real life and movies and television and video games are all the same. So when a, a four-year-old boy watches Denzel Washington as a corrupt violent cop. It was real. He saw a, a, a cop do evil things. And he was taught at that age to fear cops and the criminals are the good guys. And so we've got this whole dynamic. It's eating away. It's a, it's a cancer of crime. It's a virus of violence. And it is much, much worse than you think. It's not just a, a, a threefold increase in violence as compared to the Ferguson effect. When you allow for medical technology, you got to multiply by a factor of, of, of three or four to compare between the 60s and the 90s and a whole bunch more to compare from the 90s. So, yes, it's insane. It's crazy. And, and, and the crazy part is there was a, a I, I show a slide in my class from the New York Times. And, and it said there is no precedent for what happened in 2020. But they buried it. And the Sunday supplement never mentioned again because it points the finger right back at them. Their sick reporting, their twisted misrepresentation mm -hmm. has caused these murders. And it's a direct cause and effect relationship. And so they censored it. Uh, the Ferguson effect was censored. I showed it to the U.S. at the time, just um, the year after the, the Ferguson. I showed it to uh, the 400 sheriffs. I said, Sheriff, how many of y'all have seen this? Uh, nobody. If it had been the, the stock market, we hear about it every day. Interest rates or inflation rates, we hear about once a month. And nobody heard of it. And then we had the Ferguson or the Minneapolis effect, uh, you know, starting in May of 2020. And, and nobody heard about it because it points a finger right back at them. So our, our problem, first and foremost, is the media. And the sick stuff they feed our kids, the twisted misrepresentation of the news, the things that they censor, the refusal to take responsibility. 
uh, the video game industry fighting all the way to the Supreme Court to sell any game to any kid at any age and then shove it down the memory hole so that hopefully we'll never again know about that. Uh, and, and that's where we are. And your reflection is absolutely right. It is bad, scary bad, crazy bad. So if you ever thought you needed to carry a gun, or I tell my cops to carry off duty, if you ever thought you needed to be prepared for the potential of violence, it is orders of magnitude greater now than it has ever been in the history of our nation. Now, the American Civil War was the only time more violent than this, but it was war. It was, it was military unit versus military unit. And the civilians were relatively unscathed. Today, the war is, is your child being slaughtered, your spouse being slaughtered, your parents being slaughtered. It, it is war in which the, 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 the combatants are, are, are innocent citizens and the gangs are being empowered. Every one of those murders is a gangbanger who killed somebody is now entrapped and empowered by, by their crimes, uh, by the atrocity. And it's crazy bad. And, uh, and, and we know why it's happening. We know what's going on. The sleep deprivation, people are insane. The sleep deprivation makes you irrational and angry and brutal. You add this, this epidemic of sleep deprivation. Sleep deprived people are not rational. Taking your life is not a rational act. Taking somebody else's life is not a rational act. And the sleep deprivation is, is just the, the wild card in the equation resulting in all this violence out there. It's, it's bad, Craig. It's crazy bad. And the hard and part is people don't even know it. And it seems like that sleep deprivation must be <clears throat> getting worse because, uh, <clears throat> you know, who hasn't noticed that driving has changed the last few years yes. where, and a lot of it is, oh yes, there's definitely aggression. That's that, that exists. Um, but also it's just uh, individuals who are not with it. They're not completely there. They, they don't realize they just drove through a crosswalk. And there was yep. people that had to run out of the way. Yep. So a lot of it is, I won't say it's innocent, but it, they're oblivious. They're unable. They don't have the mental cognizance to realize that. And once again, the data is there to support you. Decade <clears throat> after decade, we brought traffic deaths down, airbags, seatbelts, medical technology. And now for the last decade, year after year after year, traffic deaths and pedestrian deaths, people just wandering into traffic and getting hammered. Traffic deaths have exploded. What is the new factor? This yes. global epidemic of sleep deprivation. This is the new factor in the equation. And once again, your observation is absolutely correct. But how many people knew that in 2020 homicides exploded? How many people like you can perceive that, that traffic deaths have exploded and traffic violations and, and rational driving has, 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 has been destroyed? Uh, your observation is absolutely correct. And all of us have kind of this, this sense that this is so. But now the data is there to support it. It's even worse than it looks. And once again, it points the finger back at them. And so they censor it. Mm, it's so true. Well, uh, one th something else, do you think with the sleep deprivation and I would just say a more violent society evolving, um, I've also noticed that uh, people's, we seem to be living with a doctrine of ridiculous simplicity. It, it seems like people are losing, or many people, not everybody, not you if you're listening, <laughs> but yeah. most people are, are, are losing the ability to uh, have any complexity to an issue. 
um, oh, yes. it, 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 if you say, and this has gotten worse over the last, I'll say, decade that, that I've noticed, and especially five years, and especially I'm going to say since yeah. 2020, you know, January, um, it wasn't that long ago when you could, let's say, not even argue with an individual, just say, look, let's expand upon what we're speaking about. You know, I'm not even going to like challenge you. Let's just bring more in, maybe even in their favor. And people just get, no, they'll, they'll punch you in the face yeah. straight up. And, and, and you really said something terribly important up front. Not you, if you're listening, because people listening to the podcast, they're getting a deeper knowledge. They're getting a, a more complex and flavored knowledge. They're getting more information flow. And, and and that's why the, the the podcast is one of the very few things happening in society right now that gives us hope. Uh, people like you out there listening to this podcast right now, uh, seeking a deeper level. It's not a five minute soundbite. It, it's it's you seeking deeper information and and data to to to, to base your decisions upon. Uh, and and other than the the podcast revolution, there's not too many good things happening out there that gives us cause for hope. Yeah. There's something to be said for living your life now as if you're an historian, you know, just gather all the data you can, you know, and one of the things you mentioned was, yes, in this world today, uh, if you can carry, certainly do, you know, if you can lawfully carry where you lawfully live, <laughs> you know, then go for it, um, get your training, etc. But I also wanted to mention what do you think about uh, martial arts, because, hey, I'm Second Amendment all the way. I'm a Second Amendment extremist. You'll never hear me say I support the Second Amendment, but I don't do I don't do that. <laughs> I was reading the news just just an hour before you and I went on, and they talk about extreme right wing. Have you ever once heard the media talk about extreme left wing? What what's extreme left wing look like? They don't. Even, they never use that phrase. Oh, extreme right wing, right wing extremists. Never yeah. once they talk about left wing extremists. So, so, you know, I'm an absolutist. I'm a, I'm a Second Amendment absolutist, extremist, if you wish. Uh, but martial arts is a great question. And I am a huge fan. Number one, I grew up in the martial arts. I love the martial arts. I enlisted in 1974 when I was 18 years old. And my martial art became the rifle, you know, and the mm -hmm. pistol. Uh, and we're the people of the gun. And we're the gunfighters. We're the gunfighter nation. This is our martial art. So I'd heard for years about the martial art, the firearm, uh, uh, hojutsu, and go to hojutsu.com, H-O-J-U-T-S-U, uh, Hotel Uniform, Julia Uniform Tango, Sierra Uniform.org, hojutsu.org. Hojutsu was a Japanese fire arts. And wow. in, Japan, in Japan, everything was an art. The sword yes. was an art, the bow was an art, unarmed combat was an art, and Firearms were an art. It was called hijutsu, the fire arts. And then in the mid-1800s, we started having repeating firearms. And they said, time out. You know, muzzle loaders we've dealt with for centuries, but repeating firearms threatens the samurai way of life. And Japan banned firearms. One of the few times in human history that, that a civilization actually took a step backwards and Japan sealed itself off from the world and internally banned firearms. And, uh, and, and so a guy named Jeff Hall has resurrected Hujitsu. Now, uh, Hujitsu.com. Uh, Jeff is uh, a Vietnam Ranger, just about one or two years older than me. I just barely missed. I came in at 74. 
Jeff is the most decorated Alaska state trooper. He was the head of their academy for years and years. He is high-level martial artist in multiple styles, won a 30-odd grandmaster pistol shots on the planet. An amazing guy. And he resurrected this martial art. And, and, and I love the martial arts, but I'm, I'm 67 years old. Yes. I, you know, and I've got a handicapped wife, and I, I have no, there is no responsibility for me to flee. Uh, I, I, I go straight to the gun, you know, and, uh, and the idea of the martial art of the gun, this is, this is what we ought to be doing. So I, I went to the first three-day, they do three-day weekends across America. There's dojos across America that are brilliant. Uh, it's got one kata at the black belt levels, brilliant kata, three weapons retention moves built into it, transition oh, wow. from armed to unarmed combat. It's beautiful kata, uh, a beautiful training, but you shoot for your belt. And I'm I'm mm. an IDPA shooter. I I I, I front sight and gun sight trained, army trained, and and I show up for my first three day hujitsu weekend. And on the third day, you shoot for your belt, and it's a long, it's a long qualification over three hundred rounds. And you shoot you shoot fast and slow and long and far. It's just a brilliant. It's three different uh, uh, series of of qualifications. It's just brilliant to push your limit. And by the skin of my teeth. I made brown belt, but I knew what shots I was missing. I knew what time hacks I was missing. I trained for two years to make my black belt. Hmm. And, and the idea of the martial art of the firearm is brilliant. And, and they're, they're, you know, we don't have bowling leagues anymore. We don't have shooting clubs, but 20 million Americans are in the martial arts. The idea of striving for that next belt, yes. striving for the, against the standard. Americans like that. We're not, we're not into in the competition, but striving against the standard and mm -hmm. getting that black belt, getting that. So I'm plinking away now at my second degree black belt. But uh, but uh, I, I think you're so right about the martial arts. It's such a tremendously valuable thing to do. And across America, when I run into to, uh, uh, senseis or people who have a martial arts studio, I tell them, think about the future and the growth industry that's around hujutsu. And you can be a hujutsu uh, uh, a dojo and, and start attracting these people. We're the people of the gun. And this is our martial art. You, you, you know, you, you the sword, you know, it's out there, the bow, it's out there. When it came to firearms, this is what Americans do. This is who we are. So A, yeah. yes, the martial art. B, take it the next step to hujutsu, H-O-J-U-T-S-U.com. And you'll be glad you did. It'll, it'll absolutely transform your world, your skills, your view. Everything comes with it. Wow. Okay. Well, I will be checking that out after this for sure because, yeah, I love my martial arts, and I think it's great to be good with the hand because you might be attacked before you can get to the gun. Yeah. But I love the idea of the uh, what you're talking about because ultimately there was you know hand to hand combat, then there was you know hand to hand combat with a rock, a stick, a sword, then eventually a gun. It's a natural evolution, and we don't owe a bad guy a fair fight. No. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. There you go. You made a mistake. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so there's a movie that I, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, it's a uh, men who stare at goats and it's definitely a bit, it's a bit eclectic, but I think it touches on some cool stuff and some of it might actually have been real, uh, actually things that took place. So men who stare at goats, there's a great, in the, in, in the very beginning, there's this great moment where, a, a sniper gets the drop on a squad there in in uh, Vietnam, 
and a couple of them get hit and then the uh, sniper exposes themselves when they run to change position and all the soldiers fire over the sniper's head and uh, one of the guy, well, the guy who was uh, the, the person in charge who was laying there, he sees this vision of a woman who says their gentleness is their strength. Um, they didn't want to shoot that sniper, even though they lost some of their own from that person. And so this is something you talk about on in killing. And I think it's, it's, it's like, it's as if it's a riddle we have to unravel because it's true. Their, their gentleness is a strength, but at the same time, it's not going to get you through the fight. And it's, uh, one of the things that really got me on in killing is how many times during the Civil War, muzzles were uh, muzzle loaders, rifles were loaded over and over again and not fired. That's something I think most people have no idea if they haven't read the book. It's 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 uh, this non-firing dynamic throughout history is real. You know, there was a a pretty famous little GoPro video of a guy in the trenches in Ukraine. And mm -hmm. and and he's rocking and rolling and shooting, but his buddy is down in the dugout, and his buddy is is loading mags for him, but his buddy is not shooting and he's not compete, he's not participating. And did you see that video? And this guy's rocking and rolling, and he shoots, and uh, and, and he and his buddy throws him a loaded mag, and he's shooting and shooting, and he, you know, and 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 that's the way combat has been, you know, during the Civil War. We get stories of, you know, it, it, the whole squad is loading rifles and handing them to the one guy who's willing to fire. Yes, yes. And we're running that over and over again. But, you know, that the idea of gentleness being their strength. Uh, you pulled out a quote going kind of through your notes. And, uh, and your, <laughs> your, your, your listeners should know what a great job you do of preparing ahead of time and making notes and enhancing it. You pulled a well, quote from my killing. And if, if I can kind of steal yes. the mark from you here, this is good. From, this is from Nietzsche. And I quoted in On Killing, rather perish than hate and fear. And twice rather perish than make oneself hated and feared. This must someday become the highest maxim for every single commonwealth. Now, here's the point. You know, it's life is always about a matter of degrees. There are no ultimate sheepdogs. There's people up and down the path. You know, it, it, there, there's no absolutes in, in most cases. When you look around the world today, who is least hated? Who is least feared? Where are people dying trying to come into our nation? And, and America is where the world wants to go. We're, 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 we're beloved and we're least hated and least feared. I, uh, I've been starting my classes recently with the Pledge of Allegiance. I say, what are the last three words you just said? Well, justice for all and justice for all. And, and, and I talk about the fact that there's this biological need in every human being to be part of a larger group. One person alone in the jungle is cat food. 20 people with spears are the alpha predator anywhere on the planet. There's this biological need to be part of a group, and our group is our nation. When we say the Pledge of Allegiance, when we when we stand for the national anthem, we're saying this is our group. This that our greatest achievement is to get rid of tribalism and wrap ourselves around this nation and what it represents. But if athletes 
dishonor the flag and dishonor mm. the anthem. If teachers teach our children that our nation's fundamentally evil, then who will you give your allegiance to? And the gangs will fill that gap in a blink of an eye. What we're seeing is a breakdown of nationalism to tribalism. And every athlete that dishonors the anthem, every 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 teacher that teaches their children that our nation's fundamentally evil are recruiters for the gangbanging killers. And we're breaking down to tribalism, one of the greatest harm that's being done. So go back again to saying who around the world today is least hated and least feared. And, and who are they coming to? Who are they, who are they dying to come to? And they're not dying to go to totalitarian nations. They're dying to come to America. And then right behind us are all the people trying to come to Europe and democratic nations who, who are feared and hated and who, you know, so, so I, I thought that was such a powerful quote from Nietzsche, uh, rather yeah. perish than hate and fear and twice rather perish than make oneself hated and feared. Who is least hated? Who is least feared around the planet? And I think our nation stands up pretty well when we make that assessment and the harm that's being done when we, when we dishonor the flag, dishonor the anthem, these, these overpaid athletes, uh, and these 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 left wing teachers are teaching our children our nation's evil. Well, what's the ramification of all this? Is it, the gangs will fill that gap, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, it makes me oftentimes think the person who probably got that off the ground would be uh, uh, Kirk, Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick, I think, was the first guy, the first football player who kneeled during the anthem, and. I've always thought what a different world it would be today if they had just fired his ass on the spot like they should have. Yes. You, say, you are an entertainer on stage. You know, if, 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 if an actor on stage, an entertainer on stage starts ad-libbing and saying what they want to, you're fired. You're never going to act again. You are an entertainer on stage. Once you leave that field, you, you're your own person. You say what you want, do what you want. But you're an entertainer uh, on a stage, and, and and we have control of what you can say and do. And if you choose to do otherwise, then you're going to be fired. If only we had done that with the first couple. Well, what, what harm could have been prevented and what good could have been done? Absolutely right. Yeah. And, of course, we know that there's an alarming amount of uh, police officers that commit suicide. I, I think I heard you recently say it was something like between two and 400 a year, and people don't know that. Yeah. But also, of course, one thing that is on the surface much more is veteran suicide. And it's a deep, you know, uh, topic to get into. And we only have so much time left. But mm. I do think that, like, for me, being a, a veteran, I think I just want to ask you, I do believe one of the things that was a blessing for me was um, no guilt. And I think one of the things that seemed like it really troubled people that I knew was if when you were in the military, if bad things happened around you, uh, uh, things that are traumatic, things that later are hard to live with, um, sometimes we have to get into our own shadow, I guess you could say, and realize that bad things happened, I was involved, and I have guilt, but there is redemption. You can, but it yeah. seems like quite often the guilt is too great. And so for me, I felt very lucky that I didn't, I didn't have guilt. I, there were certain moments that I could have been very ashamed of and I would have had guilt, but I passed the test and I feel very lucky. Um, I didn't have to go through that. But the thing is, 
it seems like one of the real ingredients to you know veteran suicide is guilt because if you don't if you can't address bad things that happened then you live life through safety glass it's like you're at a bank and it's this thick glass and you can't taste life you can't smell life you can't feel it because there's this barrier of guilt and who you were is not who you've become but you can never get past that barrier to life and it seems like that's where i think so many suicides happen there's an angle on this craig it's really important Uh, we've all heard like 22 veterans today take their life. Yes. But the word veteran and combat veteran are two different things. Yes. A veteran is anybody ever served. In the 40s and the 50s, the 60s, the early 70s, we drafted everybody. Elvis Presley was drafted. If Elvis was still alive, and if Elvis killed himself, he'd be one of those 22 veterans today take their life. So what you're really looking at and one is one too many. I've lost two nephews and a brother to suicide. One of my nephews was a GWAT vet, and, and he took his life. And uh, and and all every all three suicides have been the single most devastating thing that's ever happened to our family. Each of them has just destroyed what they loved. It was so tragic. But most of those suicides are 70, 80, 90 year old men. So mm-hmm. when we say 22 veterans a day take their life. Uh, somewhere around, around you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 of them are 70, 80, 90-year-old men. And suicide among the elderly is a totally different subject. Mm. Now, again, every suicide's a tragedy. Suicide among veterans is real, my nephew. Uh, but this, this smear of our veterans that makes you think they're all suicidal, they, they use that phrase, 22 veterans a day take their life. Say that well, the war is evil, and they're all destroyed by the war, and they all have this guilt. And, and, and the truth is that that of those 22 a day, maybe one or two are from the current war. Mm. And, and the majority of them never saw combat. In the current war, of those who were deployed, the majority have not seen combat. And, and, and that's just the nature of the war. The, the tip of the spear, you know, the tip of the spear are the ones in the fight. Everybody else is back here in the fob. And, and it, it's not like they're in case on being, you know, being mortared all, every night. Uh, you know, so, so uh, this idea that they're all suicidal, we've got to take with, with great caution. Again, one is one too many. Uh, my, my pet topic, and I think it's worthy of mentioning here, yes. is the idea of, of service dogs. I, 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 I was at a, a, a Wounded Blue conference, uh, uh, speaking at a, at a law enforcement suicide conference. And we had many dog providers and dog handlers and different aspects of suicide there. And I got nothing but warm, intense support and response when I when I floated this idea. Right now, if you get a PTSD dog or a service dog, it's it's a minimum of ten thousand dollars, maybe more, usually quite a bit more, twenty, thirty thousand mm. dollars. And 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 that's the Rolex. And there's nothing wrong with buying a Rolex. There's nothing wrong with selling a Rolex. There's nothing wrong with having a Rolex. But I want there to be a Timex. I don't want my nephew mm-hmm. to have a Timex. We had case after case where, where nobody could think of a single case where a cop or a veteran with a service dog took their life. Wow. Because people said that people told them I was going to do it and I couldn't do that to my dog. Mm-hmm. Even people that didn't have service dogs said I couldn't do that to my dog. So here's the thing. 
there is no great regulation of service dogs. There is no 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 state law, no federal law. Uh, get a good dog. Uh, get him well trained. Don't let him embarrass you. Train him well. Go to professional trainers. Spend time. Get a good dog. Get him well trained. Go to Amazon. Get a vest. Slap a vest on him. And and the first thing that dog does for you is it gets you up every morning. And you got yes. right. Yeah, we're going to go outside. I'm going to crap the rug. It's your choice. And, <laughs> and, and and but here's the critical component. You know, dogs are pack animals. They're not meant to be alone. You got one dog. You leave him alone at home. It's solitary confinement. It, mm. it, I'm mad. You got two dogs. What do we do in prison? We have a cellmate. Right? Just one cellmate. You're okay. No cellmate, and you're in solitary confinement, and it's wow. it destroys you. So you got two dogs. Leave them alone at home. They're good to go. Well, we're the same way. We're not meant to be alone. Mm -hmm. And when you've got that dog, they go with you. They go to the bathroom with you. You go to the bathroom with them. It's like <laughs> they, they, they go to the restaurant with you. They sit on the table. They go to the. They go on the airplane with you. They sit between your legs in the in the airplane. They go everywhere you go, and you're never alone. And when you sleep, they got your six. They got oh yeah. Your and nobody can tell you that you can't use that dog. The only thing they can ask is, is that dog been trained to provide a service for you? You're damn right. The dog's been very well trained. And the service they provided me, you don't have to tell them. You just tell them, yes. And that dog has been trained. And take that dog everywhere. Uh, my wife's had two service dogs. So we got kind of informed about the process. Uh, we, we got a little one. I call him the semi-service dog. He's a great <laughs> little guy. He's filling in the gap now for the third one. But the need is not so great. But he's got a little vest. And it says service dog. On the other side is a little Velcro patch that says in training. And by the way, every service dog had to go do everything they did in training. And while they're in training, you recognize the fact, oh, service dog in training, you know. Well, and it's it's just something we could do right now that could be saving lives and get the information out that you can have a Timex. You may not be able to afford a Rolex, and, and again, but you can by golly go get a Timex. And, and take the time and the energy to get good training. And, and the single greatest thing we could do to reduce suicide, number one, sleep, sleep, sleep. The link between sleep and suicide, number two, get a dog. And the dog will guard your sleep. For a veteran, it, it, your dog's watching your six. They're watching your back. They wake up at night and they're alert. To, and, and so you can sleep peacefully because you got your, your, your battle buddy here watching your six. And the dog can do that for us, and, and we need that. And uh, my nephew would be alive today if, we, if we'd if we given him a service dog. And, and that's mm -hmm. my goal is get every veteran and everybody out there who wants to have one to have a dog. Just make sure they're well-trained. Uh, don't let them embarrass you. And, uh, and and go out there, slap that vest on them, and rock and roll. And they cannot tell you no. They cannot tell you that he can't be in the airport. He can't be in your hotel room. They cannot tell you that. And there's no great regulation, no certification program. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just you you doing the right thing uh, and, and you walk out that door and save lives right now with sleep, suicide, sleep and the dog. And the two actually kind of come together to give you quality sleep by oh, virtue yeah. of the fact that he's got your six. He's your LPOP out there doing the job. Oh, yeah. And if you ever have trouble getting to sleep, getting to sleep, uh, I tell you what, listening to your dog snore or your dog <laughs> snore. Ah, yes, yes, that just yes. puts you right out. It will. It, it's, it's, it truly it's, is listening to somebody else's breathing. Yes. It, it's, it's calming. And you're not alone. And you're at peace. 
uh, it doesn't have to be snoring necessarily, but <laughs> uh, yeah, listening to somebody else's breathing is, is, is a powerful, good thing. A white noise. Another thing we have is a white noise generator, but that, that dog is your white noise generator. You know, there, there's an, a nice app called white noise. Yes. And, uh, and you turn that white noise generator on. It's a, it's a cell phone app while you sleep and, and there's good. I've, I've got a, 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 an air filter right beside the bed. But even in, in basic training, and as a young private in the 82nd Airborne, we lived in an open bay barracks. Mm -hmm. And you learn to focus your attention on the, the air coming out of the vent to tune out all the snoring and all the noise of all the guys at the open bay barracks. And so focusing your attention on that dog's breathing is, is another one of those positive things we can do. Gotcha. And I guess we'll be wrapping it up now, but I did want to ask one last thing is you have yeah. your amazing book on hunting, which I've not oh, read yet. Oh. I, I, I haven't read on, on hunting yet, but I am, I am a hunter and I do think a well, lifelong hunter. And I do think that that long, I oh. think that is something that is changing oh. uh, the world for the better because one of my most inspired moments was I was in uh, Washington state out a little ways where only hunters would tend to be down a dirt road and uh, the dirt road gets too crappy to be on. So you got to, you know, hop off and you got to use your feet. And there was, they driven it farther than a Prius has ever been driven down a crappy dirt road. <laughs> and in the window in the back, a, there Prius. Was a, stick, a, a Prius. Yeah. yeah. This, this thing is where four wheel drives can't get, you know, yeah. but they, they drove it as far as they could. Then they went on foot and I could see their bow cases in the back. And it, I, there was a big sticker on the back window and it said, real men bow hunt on a Prius. And oh, <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, let's do this. Let's do this, Craig. Yes. Read the book on hunting. Yes. And then let's come back on and talk about that. Let's because do it. I think it's terribly important. And you can't understand combat. You can't understand killing without understanding hunting. As oh, yes. human beings, hunting, combat, killing are all just three aspects of the same dynamic of who we are. And it defines who we are and what we are. And, and I, I think you'll love on hunting. Uh, read it. Help me get the word out about it. And then let's uh, let's do it again. And yeah, uh, I, have your listeners tune in for that. That sounds great. I will read that and I will I'll get in touch with your people and we'll do it again. That sounds great. So thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, for being on Radiant Creators. Uh, all your info will be in the uh, show notes. Thank you. It's been wonderful. I look forward to, forward to doing it again. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Craig. God bless Bye -bye. you. God bless America. Amen.